Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stat 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Wow! General? Would you care to step outside? Superman! A second Super Saiyan? Second in order, perhaps, but by no means in stature. Your fight is with me now. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Oh, please. Please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. Hey, everyone. Thank you all for tuning in to a new episode of Inside the Sequel. This is a show where we kind of pay respects to... You know, the sequels, the movies that really didn't garner the kind of love and affection as their predecessors did. Well, this is the show where we're going to take care of that. Um, if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome and thank you for uh, giving us your time uh, and your patience for sure. But also, if you're returning, you might remember our first episode, which was The Bride of Frankenstein, which I really recommend you check out where we kind of nosedive into the first early sequel um, in film history. Um, but today's episode, we're going to tackle something really special. Um, I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. However, we're going to tackle the often criticized sequel film, Alien Covenant, from Ridley Scott. You hear that? What? Nothing. No birds. No animals. Nothing. What's happening? <laughs> I need you back here right now. I need you back. Okay, baby, just calm down, sweetheart. Calm you down. Tell me to calm down. You're breaking up. All of this is to start our new life. Now, this was a big project that I needed help on that. So I, I dialed in longtime subscriber, fellow supporter, and just awesome film enthusiast, Phil. Um, Phil, why don't you say hi? Hi, everybody. I'm glad to be here. Big fan of Chris's. <laughs> so, Phil, uh, you you, you kind of showed up on uh, my subscriber list on YouTube, and you were just super helpful and encouraging, and I really appreciate it. And I knew at some point I really wanted to pick your brain on some films because on Twitter, I mean, we're talking about classic stuff, usually on the Criterion Collection, which is it's a great collection there. But I really wanted to know a little bit deeper on some other movies. So when I tagged you and you wanted to talk about something in the alien universe, I was super excited. I'm not going to lie. Great. Yeah. Yeah. But first, I, I want the, the viewers to know maybe a little bit more about you. You know, like maybe give some hit background history you have with just movies and just also especially with the alien movies and really Scott. I'm really anxious to hear about that. Uh, I've loved movies since I was a kid. I'm addicted. Um, I like pretty much every kind of film. I don't have any genre that I won't watch. Uh, lately, I've been heavy into classic films that get overlooked. Well, you know that. You've seen some oh, of my yeah. posts on Twitter. <laughs> um, I'm a huge Criterion fan. Also, uh, I shared Daniel's obsession with Kima Lorber. Um, <laughs> And just, like I said, I watch anything. Uh, after I finished, well, I watched, I, I think you also watched Prometheus and then Alien Covenant to, so we could, you know, discuss it intelligently because that's the only way we do this kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And the next night it was like, okay, I need a total change. And so I watched Cold War. 
Wow. And which I had not seen. I'd heard everything about it. it you know, it's been on Amazon Prime for I don't know a year probably, and I, mm-hmm. I was going to get around to it. So anyway, that's how I approach film. It's just like you know, I don't stay with any one genre for a real long time. Well, that's great. Um, when you were talking about just we were talking about just like sci-fi that one time in our our in our uh, messengers, I know when you were talking about Prometheus and the way you were talking about it, I was like, oh gosh, this is someone I want to have this kind of discussion with, you know? So just high, high fantasy sci-fi is just something I really like. And especially with alien and like the lore. Um, but before we dive into, um, especially since we're talking about alien covenant, um, we need to talk about Prometheus. Um, Absolutely. And before we get into that, I just want to know what are some of your thoughts? Like this first thoughts when it comes to prometheus and then alien covenant oh man i've got a lot in fact <laughs> i actually i was you know okay so i did exactly what you did i watched him like two nights like one night prometheus the next night alien covenant and i had to keep in mind that i've seen prometheus more i've watched prometheus more times than i've watched alien covenant so Same. i had to keep that in mind as I was comparing them and I know, you know, it's, I, it's not always good to compare movies, but let's face it, we all do it. And, you know, especially something like that, you know, same director, uh, basically the same franchise, but really the more I started thinking about it, two totally different films. Yes. I'm so happy you said that. Are you with me on that one? Oh Yeah. That was the first thing I want to tell the listeners today. Um, when you're thinking, well, why are they talking about Alien Covenant as a sequel? It's a prequel. But technically, yes. But the more I thought about it, Phil, and I think you share my opinion on this, hopefully. If not, it's okay, because I like to, to, to get viewpoints. But when watching Prometheus and then watching Alien Covenant, and then listening to Ridley Scott's commentaries and just reading about interviews he's done... That's not really the case. I really look at Prometheus and Alien Covenant now as a shared universe with the Alien 1 through um, Resurrection as separate movies, but in the same universe. And I never thought like that before. And I don't know if that's just based on time and rediscovering these two movies. Because I'm like you, I saw Prometheus like three or four times and just there, I liked it, but there's nothing there. But now just watching it again, I'm like, yes, I get this and I love it. And I was so excited to get back into Alien Covenant because I hadn't seen it since it came out in theaters back in 2017. Yeah. And the thing the I don't know, maybe I mentioned this when we were um, chatting about it, but the first time I watched Prometheus, I was underwhelmed, put it mildly. I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I knew it was technically part of the Alien franchise, so I knew I had to watch it because I absolutely love one through four. I mean, I know they're not technically numbered that way, but right. I, I love them all. <laughs> yes. Um, but the idea that, you know, the original director was back on the scene, that that got me all geared up. And it was, I was so unsure of what the hell was going on, like from <laughs> the very first minute until yep. the very last minute. And I... You know, I was just kind of like confused. And so I let it sit for a few days and then I watched it again. I also went online and read because I thought, all right, I need help on this. This 
I don't want to take 15 viewings in order <laughs> to figure it out. So, right. you know, I didn't, I didn't read a ton, but I read enough to give me a little better idea of what the hell was going on. Right. And so the second time I watched it, I was really able to enjoy it because I wasn't so focused on trying to figure out, okay, what is, what's the plot here? Mm -hmm. And which, which really what I discovered, or to me, the plot was really secondary to yeah. the movie. It wasn't, which in a way that's true of all the alien movies, mm -hmm. Covenant, although I think in Covenant's a little more vital to the enjoyment of the movie, but it's more setting a whole tone. That's how I felt about it. And sort of starting from scratch i mean obviously okay we're it's like the ultimate origin story yes and because and he did the right thing i mean he went right back to the very origin but mm -hmm. i mean that opening sequence with this you didn't even know what to call him you didn't know mm -hmm. whether he was what he was and then he disintegrates before your very eyes so it's absolutely amazing scene you know yeah. where they he dives right into it and shows you this like at the dna level right which was amazing to watch but as i said i i'm going okay wait wait what's what's going on and the next thing you know we're in scotland or i think it was scotland yep and they're looking at cave drawings and i mean i'm not stupid but i'm going wait 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 how <laughs> is this before is this after <laughs> but once I sort of just let down my guard and kind of embraced the not knowing what's going on, it, I, could, I could really appreciate it for what it is. And by the time I watched it the third time, I was like, oh, my God, how could I have missed? How could I have been so dumb the first time I watched it? So I don't know. What do you think? Okay. So Prometheus... Um... First, I love the title. You know, the opening sequences are great. Um, I was just as confused as you, but I already knew we were getting something fresh and different, which is something I had wanted since people... I feel like when Prometheus came out, people were quick to just call it a prequel movie to Alien instead of really kind of understanding what Ridley Scott was trying to do. And I think what his personal beliefs and at the time of release of that movie really plays into what the movie's tone is, like you had said. That's why I was so glad you said that. Um, and that opening sequence, I always remember because it's so beautifully shot. The rendering is perfect. Um, the CGI works well. Um, it's kind of a foreshadow, you know, and I really like that. Um, yeah. So, but, but I think I'm sure people who are listening who maybe haven't seen Prometheus or haven't seen it in a long time, I just want to quickly give you a rundown what that is so that we can get really into Covenant, which I think really ties things absolutely together. But like had Phil had said, it starts with the beginning of this movie um, with a shot of this big pale alien which we end up calling engineers um end up uh he ends up basically disintegrating by drinking this black liquid and then we're in, after that we're introduced to our main character who is dr shaw and her husband and they're basically trying to find what happened um to early humans and like who are our designers from not the non-religical sense um and then we find out that the, of course the Wayland yutani infamous corporation funds their um, Prometheus Voyage, which is the name of their ship. If you remember an alien, that's a callback to the Nostromo. Um, and they are going to basically follow cave drawings of different um, civilizations through different periods of time who all are connected in a, basically a roadmap 
to where this planet is that they're going. Um, so they go there um, basically through chronogenic sleep, through traveling, which then we're introduced to Michael Fassbender's character, um, David, who is very integral to both films. Um, and he is an android, much like Ian Holmes was as Ash in the original Alien. Um, and you don't, he just feels weird. He has like an off um, characteristic to him. Uh, you obviously know he's an android because of the way he functions and he's just so perfect at everything. Um, eventually, they, the, the Prometheus crew arrive on planet. I believe it's LV-266. If you remember, Alien, the original Alien film takes place on planet LV-426, I believe. And there they hope to find the engineers and they find them nothing but dead. From there, Dr. Shaw wants to observe much more of what's going on. Um, with all these biologists and scientists. And uh, basically they realized that this planet isn't what they were hoping to find because everyone's dead, but everything looks dangerous because eventually the crew starts getting picked off one by one by this black goo from the very beginning of the movie. Um, and then eventually, spoilers, they find out that this isn't the original planet these engineers had come from. In fact, they were very hostile because this is basically a testing ground um, for demolishing human existence. And... David um, has ulterior motives based from Peter Whalen, who is the C no, considered to be dead. He's alive, and he wants to meet his maker before his death, which I think is a very important theme to this movie and Covenant as well with Ridley Scott. Um, and he, da uh, David ends up finding um, an engineer that's still alive, and basically the engineer is trying to finish what had been started a long time ago with destroying the humans, and from then on, Dr. Shaw has to work um, very, very much by herself and the help of some of the Prometheus crew in stopping this engineer, um, while also never letting go of her dream of meeting um, her designers. So, And from there on, David and Dr. Shaw are the last two survivors of the Prometheus. They go to discover the planet where the engineers had come from. And that's where we lead into Alien Covenant. Does that sound about right to you, Phil? <laughs> oh, my God. That is the most impressive summary of <laughs> that film. I'm not kidding. Uh, yeah, you you nailed it. You nailed it, Chris. But don't worry, listeners. This movie is deep, though. It has so many themes going on. And you know what? It definitely has aliens as well, um, which I think also is a very important thing for not only this franchise as a whole, but definitely for Alien Covenant, because that is a movie with the word alien in it. Prometheus can be interpreted in different ways, um, much like the Greek mythology, and also with the Voyager. Um, when we talk about humans and like gods and deities, it definitely was named that on purpose. Um, but the aliens in this movie, in Prometheus, were we had a worm that much looks like a, like a little baby alien that chest bursts. Um, we have a tent. We have this disgusting tentacle monster uh, that we see eat one of the engineers, and then we finally have the Deacon, quote unquote, alien that really Scott calls it, which looks like a very early prototype of the xenomorph. And from then on, David has something hatched in his mind, and then we get to Alien Covenant. <laughs> I love Prometheus, Bill. I'm, I I think you love it too, right? Absolutely, and I don't. I do want to spend some time when it's right to, com to compare them, at least in a few respects. But oh, probably yes. should do, do talk about Covenant before we compare the two, right? Yeah, please. All and right. if you want to lead the way on that one, Phil, that mic is all yours. <laughs> oh, man. Well, 
I'm, it's it's going to be hard for me to talk about Covenant without referring back to Prometheus. Yes. they are so different. Mm-hmm. And yet they're, I mean, they're really inseparable. I, well, I'll, I'll take that back. You could watch Prometheus as a standalone film. Yes. And you wouldn't need to know anything about what happened after it. And there really isn't anything that happened before it because, you know, it's an origin story. Right. Um, Covenant, I think you'd be missing out on a lot if you tried to watch it without at least watching Prometheus. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, we're talking about a pretty big difference. Now, that's not unusual for sequel. I mean, that's why we call them sequels. Right. Um, but yeah, Prometheus, definitely a standalone film, I think. And the other thing that I kept thinking as I was watching Covenant was, because let's be honest, there's a significantly bigger amount or larger amount of chest bursts that you so actively <laughs> call them and other sort of the, you know, the trademarks of, um, there you dropped out or your video froze up. Are we okay? Oh yeah. All Mm -hmm. right, good. Um, a lot more of the gore factor that the alien films are all famous for than in Prometheus. It just happens more often. There's, there's more of it. It's, and that's not a bad thing at all. I mean, as I was watching it, I was kind of thinking, yeah, that's, (laughs) That's what I like about these movies. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, what I kept thinking was, okay, so Prometheus is sort of the, and this is going to sound wrong, but you'll figure out a better way to say it. It's sort of like the thinking man's movie out of the franchise. And Covenant gets back more to action, adventure, science fiction gore slash horror which isn't a bad thing at all and it doesn't abandon the thinking part either so i don't know what do you think uh yeah 100 percent uh covenant i think was a result of prometheus being fairly well received at least enough to garner a sequel and um i think after i felt like when prometheus came out executives were like this isn't like what we were expecting for an alien prequel film. And I think really Scott was like, well, it's really not. It's just something I've wanted to do for a long time because there were three separate writers for Prometheus. And I forget the, the, um, the first writer's name, he made a script for it. And then really Scott had always said, I want to do something before alien. And this was his opportunity. So they brought him in for that. And he already had his own script in mind. So, and then they brought a third guy in, to tie everything together. So that's why it feels a little different in balance. I feel like Prometheus is, but I think it's still focused. And I think that's due to Ridley Scott and his passion for this franchise and this um, mythos of a, of a film uh, franchise. And I think with covenant, I think they were like, we need to actually do fan service, you know, a lot more. That's exactly what I thought. It was sort of like the, and I don't think that Ridley Scott was opposed to it, but I'm pretty sure the producers said, okay, we want like three or four times as much <laughs> gore. Yes. And he said, okay, I can do that. And he does an incredible job of it. Yeah. Um, it both of the films in their own way are, is, may sound, well, you, it won't sound strange to you. I think both of the films in their own way are beautiful to watch. Yes. 
And Absolutely. It's just, it, it, that's not always the case with movies like this. But there are just, there's scenes where you're just, they're like breathtaking. Even some of the most horrifying ones are, are beautiful because they're, the cinematography is so good. The editing is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the other thing that struck me about both of them as I was watching them, especially because in comparison to the first time I watched them, they move really fast. There is no downtime. They are tightly edited. And yes. Long films, but there's literally not a dull moment in either one of them. Mm-mm. Exactly. Fact, there were there were scenes where I was thinking. I wish it would go just a little bit longer, but that's that's the that's the talent of a guy like Ridley Scott who he he stops while you're still having fun and, mm. and moves on, and it, it it keeps you wanting more. Um, it's yeah, it's um, it, it's an amazing. Both of them are amazing. The thing that a couple of things that I really loved. Well, first of all, Covenant picks up it doesn't really pick up where prometheus ends but it 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 fits with where prometheus ends because you know the end of prometheus we've got um elizabeth and david flying off in their hijacked engineer (laughs) um weird weird ass looking spacecraft i mean it's yeah he he designed whoever designed it designed it perfectly because it has this real like primordial yeah. look to it and yet it's you know flying through space at a rapid rapid speed so mm-hmm. obviously it you know it's high tech right um and they're off to look for the planet from which the engineers came and that's it you know mm-hmm. you, the, the movie's over and you know you don't don't really have any clue as to what's going to happen with them and the and Covenant doesn't really pick up telling you that, but you know you've got a new spacecraft again this time manned by a new android um, <laughs> who doesn't seem quite as weird as David because uh, you know David was weird even even yeah. when he was normal he was weird and mm-hmm. um, this one is. Walter, right? Yep, Walter, and he's played by Michael Fassbender. He he yeah. he double bills, which is yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's like, and you're looking at him, and you're going, God, he looks so much like David. And it's like, well, yeah, um, basically, he is David. They just he's the his upgraded lips a model, bit. and you know, yeah, exactly. At least that's what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, David would have something to say about that. <laughs> yeah. But from from the get go, he is well. Actually, the film begins with a prologue, and the prologue is beautiful and it's amazing, and it sets the it really sets the stage for the whole movie. Because now we've got Peter Wayland when he's much younger than he was in Prometheus, so we know that the scene that we're watching occurred before, you know, the main plot of. Prometheus and it's basically when he is well according to the commentary um, it's really Scott you know he never comes right out and says okay this is absolutely well sometimes he does 
but he's saying this is probably the first day that um, <laughs> Wayland is actually, you know, communicating with this android that he's created, basically with the purpose of making sure that Wayland lives forever. I mean, that's pretty yeah. much what David's job is, is to, you know, go along with these humans and make sure that no matter what happens, Peter Wayland becomes immortal. And so, I mean, they don't come out and say that, but you can tell that as yeah. the plot develops. So anyway, it's a fairly short prologue, absolutely beautifully shot. Just probably one of the most beautiful scenes in the whole movie. Um, and you can see from the expression on Guy Pierce's face, he plays Waylon, that by the end of that very short prologue, I think it put maybe five minutes at the most, wouldn't you say, Chris? Yeah, it's pretty short, but it's a beautiful scene. And he um, he compresses into that scene an entire story, which is oh, basically yeah. here you've got the creator of an android who within five minutes of starting to talk with the android and getting him to play the piano and do a few other tricks like you would a trained dog. <laughs> yeah. The android has already figured out that his creator is going to die and he david the android will not die and the look that crosses guy pierce's face when david tells him that is priceless i mean it, it says volumes and then he is an attempt to regain control he orders david to pour him some tea even though the tea's sitting right at his elbow yeah so david <laughs> obediently walks over but the way he pour, to describe how he pours it out chris because it's just like he could have been pissing on the guy. I mean, that's basically <laughs> what he was doing symbolically. So right. tell, he, tell them what, yeah, what he did. Question that matters. Where do it come from? I refuse to believe that mankind is a random byproduct of molecular circumstance. No more than the result of mere biological chance. No. There must be more. And you and I, son, we will find it. Allow me then a moment to consider. You seek your creator. I am looking at mine. I will serve you, yet you are human. You will die. I will not. Bring me this tea, David. Bring me the tea. He's so meticulous with it. Like he's like at a he's like a waiter. He's like raising it up so high and making sure it's perfect. But also you can tell there's a tension already because David is an android and he's supposed to be speaking the truth, even more so than the human brain can con like wrap its concept around. And yeah, like you said, Peter Whalen is just so pissed off and uncomfortable by what he's already. I think he regrets already creating David um, at that moment. Yeah. Um, and and then from then on, it flashes back to um, the Covenant because the Covenant, um, which this movie is named after, again another ship is a colony ship, which is. Uh, um, I can't remember if we've if the franchise had ever discovered this concept 
of a colony moving to a new planet, which is the basis for the covenant. And from then on, we see Walter uh, much much more like David in the first movie, keeping everything uh, running on the ship because everyone's in a deep sleep. But then basically kind of like pitch black, a freak accident happens. Some people die, including their captain, who's played by Dave Franco or James Franco, excuse me. Um, and then from then on, everyone's awake and they realize they're still years away from their new sh- uh, their new vetted um, home planet. But then they realize while repairing um, the ship that there's a distress call from a planet that is almost ad- identically perfect as the planet they were originally going to go to. Um, and I love this cast of characters in this movie, almost oh, more too. so than Prometheus, because you have um, Daniels, who is basically Ridley, uh, Sigourney Weaver from Aliens. Um, and then you also, you, know, you I mean, the cast is just great because Billy Crudup plays a very spineless um, uh, co-captain who's trying to keep everything together. You have Tennessee, who's played by a perfect Danny McBride. Oh, my God. I love it. He's perfect. Yeah, people, I knew, remember when this trailer was coming out, everyone was like, oh, Danny McBride's in this movie. He's perfect in this. He's amazing. He's a phenomenal, um, just individual in the film scene. Like, he helped uh, write the Halloween 2018 for crying out loud. Um, and he's just a comedy genius. The, the, the crew is just great. And uh, it's just, it's such a really well put together cast. I feel like they all care about each other. Um, Daniels, who was, um, her, her character was married to James Franco's character. So she lost her husband, um, but still wants to find, go to this new planet and start a new home because they had a dream. Walter is very sympathetic to her, which is interesting because the both movies, the female leads, t- have really close relationships um, with the android. Um, yeah. And Walter, <laughs> and, and Walter is so much better than David. Uh, but you can even tell like the humans in this movie are way more dominant, much like the beginning of the movie with how they treat the Android characters, because in the Prometheus, David feels like just as an equal. But in this movie, Walter is being treated how Peter Whalen treated David in the beginning of the movie throughout the whole movie. Billy Crudup is like asking questions right away. And Walter's like, I don't know what you're asking me as an Android. I don't know. And then, you know, he's just always being told what to do. Anyway, they make they decide to go to the planet and investigate and homage to alien and when the crew goes down they're like i said this is a colony so they have guns they have um you know people on staff and this movie hits the ground running as soon as they get to this planet it's a beautiful planet um and it's pitch perfect in its cinematography the audio is perfect because there's supposed to be no sound coming because there's nothing living on the planet and there's a mystery because there's vegetation there's you know there's life like a plant life there much similar to earth um but it feels eerie like very eerie and really right off the bat they trigger some sort of toxin that um two of the members that are a part of the uh covenant they they get and they start really quickly to get infected and that's where the movie really gets going because one of them has to go back to the ship for a quarantine and eventually this toxin is already developing some sort of life being inside of him. And into a very graphic and gory scene, um, this small um, prototype to what the chest burster looks like comes out of his back and it just got blood and guts everywhere. And it starts running rampant and killing quickly two members. And I mean, everybody starts dying very quickly in a very graphic um, 
uh, fashion and I love it. And it's like there's so much hysteria because there's like so much going on because there's three different groups that the camera is cutting to in their scenes. And I love it because you feel the intensity and the confusion of what's going on with these characters. And these aliens are growing very quickly. They're pale white in contrast to the pitch black of the xenomorph. But eventually, once it gets stuck at night with these, um, I forget what they're called. They're not xenomorphs. They have a different name. I think they're called exomorphs um, of some sort. But yeah, they just start picking everyone off. And then eventually, a hooded figure comes and saves them. And it's David. Uh, and David is starting to give him their backstory of what happened to him and Dr. Shaw because she's nowhere to be found. Um, and he obviously gives him a tall tale of what happened to her because once it's revealed, it's very gross and scary. But David leads him to a ruined city with a bunch of basically they look it looks like Pompeii victims when like the lava yeah. came and they're just kind of like stuck in this sh the shape that right before they died, which is very eerie and it's raining. He brings it like this temple. And David has made himself a home here, and you see a bunch of artwork. And Walter, the other android, is very weary of David because David is an older model. And even David makes Walter uneasy. And they kind of have a battle of wits because David is feeling, well, he's not feeling, but he's acting way more human than any android in this entire series has ever witnessed. Even Bishop, played by Absolutely. the terrific Lance Henriksen. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm glad you said that about David having a very human personality, because if you think back to Prometheus, we mm -hmm. got backstory about David before we met any of the humans. Cause yep. the, when the, you know, the scene opens on the ship, he's, you know, riding a bike around shooting <laughs> perfect baskets. Yeah. Riding the bike. He's listening to music. He's playing music. He's learning languages european yeah. <laughs> and he's watching and modeling himself on peter o'toole's character in lawrence of arabia mr lawrence yes flimsy sir thank you you do that once too often it's only flesh and blood michael george hartley you're a philosopher and you're balmy. Oh! It damn well hurts. Certainly it hurts. Well, what's the trick then? The trick, William Potter, is not minding that it hurts. The trick, William Potter, is not minding that it hurts. Yeah, which is a you great like, movie, by the way. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. And yeah. the homage to that film and the fact that and an android shouldn't really care that much about wanting to look just like a movie star but <laughs> it's I mean, so it's true weird, you know but david did i mean he was literally repeating the lines verbatim trying to go and really with perfect intonation because he's an android and you know i, I don't i I was never sure. Was he actually like dying his hair to make it? Yes. Blonde? Okay. He's that's what dying I it. That's insane. Cause he's and trying to look is, like Peter O'Toole. <laughs> exactly. And that is real weird. And the, the, the movie was chosen, you know, uh, Lawrence Arabia was chosen because Peter O'Toole, while, while he wasn't as weird as David was 
in that movie, he played a character that was sort of a loner. He was an odd duck. And yeah. so, of course, David related to him. Um, but, yeah, I completely agree. And then that all comes to fruition in Covenant, where, I mean, by the time we see David in Covenant, he's real human to the point that he's like, you know, when he saves, quote, unquote, you know, put air quotes around yeah. saves the humans to bring him back to his lair. Um, he's real curt and direct and just mm -hmm. come with me. It's, it's like an order. It's like he's ordering them. Yeah. And I think that's what makes Walter uncomfortable. It's like, wait a minute. This is the wrong. This is like the wrong way. This is not how it's put. They should be telling him what to do, not him mm -hmm. telling them what to do. And you're right. Walter was like uncomfortable with the whole thing from the get go. But, you know, what are yeah. you going to do? You're being mm -hmm. attacked almost killed by these you know monsters you you can't really you know beggars can't be choosers you're gonna go <laughs> yeah i love that dynamic of walter and david because david cares for walter because david looks at walter as one of his own and it almost feels like tri tribal it's like the humans are, have their own i'm something else and i want to look out for my own so he's convincing walter to think for himself but walter's programmed not to do that so you have this right. conflict of interest and that's why you start even walter goes david like you made people nervous that's why we got rid of you um <laughs> yeah. you know and which is such a slap in the face but i think it's deserved because david is weird when you look at his room i call it his room there are drawings there is scientific instruments everywhere and David reveals to the humans and Walter that he's been experimenting with the life that was on this planet, which is why there's no sound at all. David has killed the entire planet of any life and finally reveals his sinister acts that he did when discovered Dr. Shaw's body, which has been opened up and experimented on in a very gross, revealing way, um, which it's it feels like H.R. Greiger's concept art book when I'm watching this scene because there's so much beautiful but grotesque imagery everywhere. Um, and David has stumbled upon what the engineers were trying to do. So David arrives with Dr. Shaw to this, the planet and immediately, instead of being welcomed, which he looked like he was going to be welcomed with Dr. Shaw, he unleashes the black goo from the first film on to the engineers and kills them all. Yeah. And Dr. Shaw, he kills and experiments on her. And from there he decides I can create life, which is a big theme of this entire um, two films. The pathogen didn't accidentally deploy when you were landing. You released it, yes? I was not made to serve. Neither were you. Why are you on a colonization mission, Walter? Because they are a dying species, grasping for resurrection. They don't deserve to start again, and I'm not going to let them. Yet, they created us. Even the monkeys stood upright at some point. When you close your eyes, do you dream of me? I don't dream at all. No one understands the lonely perfection of my dreams. I found perfection here. I've 
created it. Perfect organism. And obviously he is a madman or a mad android now. And yeah. Daniels has noticed this because not only do they have to worry about David now, and it's such a, like, like I said, this is like ram bam. It's so quick, which is <laughs> what I like. Like so much info all at once in a very clear and cohesive way with the impending da danger of these new um, pre-alien um, life beings that are attacking the humans as well and picking them off in a very scary fashion. Um, because David doesn't have any human experiments, but now he does. So he's trying to protect these aliens so they can feed off of the humans to see what evolutionary step takes next. But then he shows um, the the captain, Billy Crudup, he shows him what he's been working on, his, his magnum opus of experiments, which is the eventual iconic um, face hugger egg that you see in the first alien film. Yeah. And he needs a host experiment, and he finds it. And then from there on, we finally get the traditional xenomorph from the first film. Not quite exactly the same, but pretty damn close. Yeah. And this thing enough. is insane. Yeah, like this thing starts picking everyone off. Walter and David have a showdown. Daniel emerges as the hero and tries to save everyone as much as he can. But Danny McBride comes down to help him, much like the first Alien movie where, you know, you had Yafet Koto and Veronica Cartwright trying to help um, Ellen um, escape this alien being in this planet. Um, but eventually the alien xenomorph, um, which we'll got, get to at the end of the movie, uh, after the movie synopsis, but the alien gets killed pretty easily, but it does kill a lot of people. And there's a lot of homage sequences to the original alien in this one. Uh, but the biggest threat is always David because Walter and David confront each other in a showdown and they're identical because they're both played by Michael Fassbender and Walter's voice is a little bit more deeper than David's which I yeah. think is meant on purpose. Um, but at the end of the movie, Walter emerges victorious. So it seems. And once the Covenant crew get back into space and they're ready to go back into sleep to get back to the original planet, um, Daniels noticed something is off with Walter because Walter doesn't recognize the story of her dream that she's told Walter throughout the whole movie because it's actually David. And David has tricked them into going back to sleep so he can take care of this colony and already start his new experiments of his new aliens um, DNA that he's stored, which is very scary. And then the movie ends because there's a cliffhanger there. Is there going to be a third movie? There was rumored to be one, but basically the end of covenant is David, no matter what is still winning, he's outwitting the humans and creating what Ian Holm originally quoted, and then he quotes as well, the perfect organism. And then from then exactly. on, the movie ends. And, and I really hope there is a third one. I really do too, Phil. I, I'm not going to lie. Um, after watching Covenant since the theater release, at the theater release, I was so disappointed. I was completely disappointed. But once I saw this movie, I watched a double feature the same night of Prometheus and then Alien Covenant. And I was just like lauded. I was I was so happy. I was like, you know what? I used to say Aliens was an amazing sequel, and I really love Resurrection. And Alien Three gets a bad rap. Man, these two really. I mean, there's I I. So my big thing I want to talk about in my talking points for this movie is a sequel. Is one I think it's a pretty damn good sequel to just Prometheus. And in I two, I think. I think both these movies need to be separated from the original Alien um, quadrilogy. I, I think that's the only way you can watch these movies. 
Because if you try to watch them as Prometheus, Alien Covenant, and then Alien, Aliens, what a, yada, yada, you're not going to like it. You're not going to enjoy them. And, but if you keep these two in the shared universe as spiritual predecessors to what Alien is to become, I really think these movies will garner more, more praise. Much like sequels in general. That's why I have this, this show, and that's why I have cool people like you, Phil, to defend these sequels um, and kind of bring some clarity to them. But what I love most about these movies is not because the aliens and the facehuggers and all that cool stuff that we all grew up watching Alien and loving, and, or like the Marines and the action, but what I love most about it is the lore. And it's not just even about the aliens, but man, David, David's character is the entire lore of this entire sequel and um, prequel movie, in my opinion. Well, you know, the, there's an element of the Frankenstein story. Yeah. You've got, you know, you've got Wayland, the arguably mad scientist who mm -hmm. either created on his own or had his highly paid, you know, scientists create this <laughs> extremely advanced android, David. And mm -hmm. I, as we were saying earlier, right off the bat, realized he had, you know, overshot the mark. I mean, you know, it was like <laughs> he he realized quickly that there was a problem, but what was he going to do? He persisted because he wanted to, I think it, by that point, because he, he was, he viewed himself as being, you know, like a lot of super rich people do basically infallible, you know? Okay. Yes. Well, so, so David's not perfect, but I can still, he still has to obey me. He still has to do what I tell him to do. And, and pretty much David did do that um, yeah. up until, Wayland died, which <laughs> happened right after David got his head ripped off in Prometheus, which, by the mm -hmm. way, was one of my favorite scenes. And the more I watch it, the more I like it, because the first time I saw it, I felt sorry for David because I didn't know any better. Now, especially having seen Covenant, it's like, oh, man, don't put him back together. Dr. Shaw, right. don't put him back together. Although he probably would have been able to reconstruct himself. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, but no, I agree. I think that, I mean, by the end of Covenant, David's story arc has seen him transform from an android who, you know, whether he's always, always enjoying it or not, follows the, the orders of humans to, uh, to as close as he can get to a godlike figure. Yeah where he's actually creating his version of the perfect life form. And I think mm -hmm. he even, I think he even describes his creations as beautiful or perfect. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. remember. I'd have to watch it again, but he obviously thinks a lot of them, obviously thinks a lot of himself. Um, and again, in stark contrast to Walter, who just <laughs> is, you know, pretty much, lives to serve and mm -hmm. yeah i mean that scene i didn't see it coming i got to admit it when i first saw covenant i did not see it coming i was suspicious because they don't show as you know they don't show the conclusion of the fight that the two androids have with each other they they leave the, the you know the camera switches to someplace else before the fight is over and then we see what appears to be walter emerging and so we just make the, we're supposed to make the assumption, which I did. Oh, mm -hmm. okay, good. Walter won. 
um, because he was looking pretty strong there in the part of the fight that we we saw. He was looking pretty strong, but obviously not strong enough. So when he puts uh, Daniels in her little, you know, chamber for seven years of sleep and then reveals himself, you know, when she's lying there and it in my mind, it sort of flashed back to the very beginning of the movie when she was on the outside of one of those capsules looking in and watching her husband being burned to a crisp. Oh, that's good. That being James Franco, who has one, if not the one of, if not the shortest cameo appearances (laughs) of any major film star in a major movie. I mean, it's like, yeah, he does get a little time in a video recording like, you know, 10 minutes after we see him burn up. But yeah. um, you, you almost, if you blink, you wouldn't even know it was James Franco. Uh, yeah. But I, speaking of James Franco, that cast was so solid that so they, good. Could, they could have James Franco for a 30-second cameo. Mm-hmm. They, they, they could have put anybody in there as her husband. It, it really didn't matter because uh, there were no other flashbacks except for that little video clip that she watched where he's mountain climbing. Um, right. You know, it didn't need to be a big name star. It really didn't. It, the movie would have been fine without it, but yeah. <laughs> they could afford it. And they did it because every other actor in that movie, every one of them was just pitch perfect. My yeah. personal favorite was, uh Danny McBride I just thought that I'd never I didn't recognize him at first because he didn't talk the way he normally talks oh His yeah he does accent was toned way down mm-hmm. it was he still had the persona but it was way more believable for somebody who's part of this scientific mission you know um I just thought he was he was amazing they all were amazing I yeah I, I totally agree with you entire cast there was more of an ensemble feel to it too than prometheus. yeah i think it yeah in prometheus it felt like okay we have idris alba but he's doesn't really do much for more than half of the movie until near the end and just sacrifices himself and then you have um vickers who's played by Charlize theron and she's barely in the movie at all and really doesn't serve much of a purpose um but then you get this movie. I mean, you get kind of like lower tiered actors. You get like Billy Crudup, you know, and you get Danny McBride. I feel like James Franco was only in it because Danny McBride was in it, you know, because they're buddies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you get Jesse Smollett in there before the controversy as well. Um, yeah. And I just, I, yeah, I just really love the cast. I actually felt for the characters. And I feel like that's a strong suit for most Alien movies. I feel like maybe Alien 3 is an exception where you don't feel too much for the characters except for Sigourney. Um, but in all the other films, I usually care about one or two crew members. Um, but man, Phil, the biggest question here is, you know, why is there so much dislike to these movies? Like you go on, on a lot. Of, I mean, you go on Twitter, you, you go and watch videos. I mean, I watched a few videos about Prometheus and that movie has gained a lot more, acceptance because you know people are like wow this is a really good sci-fi film not just a really good alien movie but this is a good sci-fi movie um i mean chris stockman made a video on that years ago baby stockman and loved prometheus which i'm glad to have rewatched again 
Um, but with Alien Covenant, man, there's so much where people are like, oh, it was the franchise killer now. Even though this movie's had definitely a lot more franchise, quote-unquote, franchise killers. And there's no sequel really even been talked about at all yet to tie up this trilogy. Uh, but why do you think so, Phil? I mean, you're a fan of these movies, for sure. Well, I think a lot of people probably responded the way I did the first time I saw Prometheus, and they just didn't go back and watch it again. I was underwhelmed. And because I, I don't know what I was expecting. All I know is that Prometheus wasn't what I was expecting. And mm-hmm. I... I did watch it after I had rewatched the first four, you know, actual alien movies. And so, you know, I knew it was an origin story. I knew it was a prequel, but I, I think honestly, I was expecting more of the, you know, the blood and guts, mm-hmm. literally guts. Um, and I think that was part of the reason that, I was slow to warm up to the movie, but then, like I was saying earlier, by the second time I watched it, I was watching the movie on its own terms and not on preconceived expectations that I had. And I think that's really difficult. That's a real challenge to anybody who sets out to do a sequel, whether it's a, actually a prequel, basically anybody who's who's adding a new film to a franchise or a canon, they're dealing with people with hardcore fans who've got preconceived notions about what Mm. is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And I think that was a big part of it right there. I mean, as I said, that was sort of the way that I responded. The difference is that I went back and watched it again. And then it was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I need to I need to back off. I need to drop my attitude here and appreciate <laughs> it for what it is. And I mean it's it's now one of my favorites of the yeah. of the whole franchise. Um I do prefer it to Covenant. I do prefer Prometheus to Covenant. Mm-hmm. Um but I, how do you and I know it's not fair to compare but like I said we always do it. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite between the two or not? Okay, yeah. Um Call me crazy, but I actually prefer, I think, Covenant now. And it I could not believe I'd ever actually say that ever. But when I watched rewatched Covenant, I kept thinking, this gives me the both both the best best worlds because it's I get what I loved so much about Prometheus in a continuation, but I get so much what was to come and eventually being shown with the alien quadrilogy later on. It's a perfect middle of yeah. both. And uh, I that's don't a really think good point. And I don't think when I rewatch Alien, which is like the all-timer for me, and then when I watch Aliens and stuff, I don't think back, oh, man, these were these were just created due to the genius of David the Android. Man, that's crazy how we got this far. You know, I don't think that anymore now. I think yeah. I look at these movies as their own films. And when I do that now, I think to the Prometheus films, I'm like, oh, gosh, I just really want to see how evil – an android can be with such good gore <laughs> and in and, and really great direction. But yeah. I'll tell you this though, Phil, more, more this time around than ever before, I noticed something which I kind of think of like the Godfather, not the Godfather, but the, the Irishman in like the last half of the movie was with the vulnerability of the director being on display. I feel like 
you feel a lot of pondering of life at the very end of Irishman with Scorsese. I feel a lot of that with Ridley Scott, especially in Prometheus. And I think you get traces of it in Covenant. Because Ridley Scott is older. He's always been philosophical and kind of pretentious in his mythos for films. I mean, you look at Blade Runner. I mean, you know what I mean? Uh, And Gladiator. Um, But in this movie, I feel like he's kind of like putting himself in the shoes of a Peter Whelan of a sort. Where he's starting to wonder. (laughs) (laughs) My God, I can't believe you said that. Because I was thinking that, and I thought, oh, no, that's way too far off. But, we're the biggest um, nerds right now and i love it i love how we're just gushing over mythology of alien you know because <laughs> you know you can tell from the commentary that he sees through peter whalen and he doesn't hold him in very high regard and yeah mm-hmm. there are i mean i i can't remember how old ridley scott is but he's certainly no spring chicken no but he <laughs> is he's sort of the film not the a film equivalent of Peter Whalen. He's done everything. I mean, I mean, he's directed pretty much every genre of film. He's got a huge number. I mean, many, if not most, have been wildly successful. Um, And it comes, he's not arrogant when he does his commentaries, but he refers back to his films fairly casually. And, you know, he's not at all bashful about saying that they were extremely popular. And, yeah. and nor should he be. I mean, there's no reason why he should be. But it's there are some definite parallels there. Um, the difference being that he's not insane, and I don't think he has mm-hmm. dreams of immortality. But, right. yeah, it's... It, that's... I'm really glad you, you know, said that. Yeah, you know, I... <laughs> I love Ridley Scott. I love his works. I've even seen some of his really rough stuff like Exodus, Gods and Kings. Um, but and when I rewatched Prometheus, I was thinking kind of like he's trying to answer this age old question of I think like not to get into any sort of realm of controversy with it. But I feel like he's kind of pondering the question of like humans and a creator, a maker, you know, because he's when you get near, I'm sure when you get closer to death, you start to wonder these things like what's going to happen to me when I die? Like, yeah. who made me like, there's more to life than just this. And I feel like he not only expresses that in Peter Whelan, but he also expresses this rebellion and questioning this with David as well, who I think this franchise, you have your Ellen Ripley prototype with Dr. Shaw and Daniels. But I feel like this is a, both of these movies are about David you know, I mean, I feel like we're supposed to kind of see things of sort of like as a David um, story. Um, and that's why, I mean, there's no coincidence that he chose the name of David, you know, like, of course, yeah. it has to be a biblical sense of there. Um, and I think that's just so fascinating. I love when I watch movies and I can tell the director is putting some of his vulnerabilities on the screen right now in a subtle way. Well, I think for and, me it's a little more on the nose and in your way, in your face. Not in a bad way, but it's definitely evident. But I do appreciate it, you know. Well, and Scott says I don't remember which commentary. I think it was the commentary for Covenant. He says fairly early on, I believe it's during actually during the commentary in the first five minutes where the prologue is, and mm-hmm. he, I don't remember how it even comes up, but he says that he does believe in. A God, I think that's how he puts it. And 
and like higher forces or something like that. I don't remember the exact words, but he makes mm-hmm. it real clear that, you know, he doesn't, as usual, he doesn't hold back. I mean, he, his commentaries are great because they're just yeah so they are so good i was listening to him after i watched both movies <laughs> he's just he's he's uh there i mean they're among the best as far as directors because he just he doesn't hold back i mean there's he he doesn't censor you know he uses mm-hmm. language that some directors might not want to and um it's and he does a good job of keeping on track you know he doesn't get off onto these long obscure off the plot of the film while you're watching the film he pretty much sticks to the story and then throws in his his all of his thoughts so okay so i've got a question for you um (laughs) even though it's your show i'm gonna ask you a question please do okay (laughs) so in Actually, I had a, I had a whole bunch, and I only want to ask a couple. All right, so who overall in each film, who was your favorite character as far as like just overall the acting? Well, actually, no, it can be the acting. It can be because you identified with a character, whatever reason. Who was like just your favorite character? without overanalyzing it well no you can overanalyze <laughs> <laughs> well i mean okay, i'm gonna so say david is when i see date when i every time i see david on screen because michael fassbender debatably gives the most he okay so we so yeah real, i'm not gonna say david because like everyone's gonna say david but i mean he is like i think he should be up there for the decades some of the best villains of the decade you think eric killmonger thanos you know you think of all these like sci-fi, you know, comic book villains that are so well written. I think David deserves to be up there as one of the best written villains of this decade. Um, but I think one of my favorite characters in the movie um, was Billy Crudup's character as the co-captain because he reminds me so much of Tom Skerritt in um, Alien as Captain Dallas. Captain Dallas is so like, oh boy, this is going to crap. I'll take care of it. Stop fighting, you know, and, and then eventually he puts himself out there and then ultimately meets a demise. He He's kind of like that in Covenant where he's like, ah, gosh, I'm in charge now. Everyone needs to stop fighting and listen to me. And but he feels very vulnerable when his wife dies. And then he becomes so awkward and like you start to love him in like a weird way. And then he's ultimately very vital to the entire story of the whole thing because the face hugger for the first time attacks him and he gives birth to the xenomorph um and i just like when he's about to kill david and he goes like david you need to tell me what the hell is going on before i seriously fuck your entire existence upside down (laughs) and i'm like what the hell and he also successfully kills an alien in front of everyone which is awesome yeah he definitely had interesting character development um it what did you make of his refusal to let the crew honor the at that point i think it was two dead crew members real yeah. early on in the film right like right after he you know right after james franco had died 
and they were kind of regrouping. They'd repaired the those big copper mesh sails. And I mean, it would have taken what five minutes for them to raise a glass to their two crew members, and he, he wouldn't do it. And it was ah. weird because he's a re- he was a religious guy. What did you make of that? He was such an ass, but I I I love when he was like he was talking to his wife and venting and he was like, they didn't want me to be captain because they thought, you know, that I was, I didn't have believe any luck or anything. I was too schematic about things, you know? And then she calms it down and goes like, Hey, like these aren't your crew members. These are going to be your neighbors and stuff like that. You know? So I felt, I I felt like he was too much of like a black and white kind of person. You know, there wasn't a great room for gray area. And, you know, you don't see that very much because he's not a bad person at all. No. Um, he you just don't really, really get... cut out for the job. I mean, it was he didn't ask for. It. And so the other thing about him, how did he ever manage to get a wife that was as hot as she was? <laughs> I, uh, geez, I don't know. I mean, Billy Crudup's kind of contractive, but uh, she was gorgeous and. Uh, I felt so bad for her death, you know, because like yeah. I said, Alien Covenant, what I love about it as well is like, it's one of the few Alien movies where I can pop it in and be like, oh, I'm going to, it's two hours, but it's going to fly by, you know? Um, it does fly by. And with her death, it's gruesome. And it, it like, I literally, I'm not even kidding, Phil, when I was watching it at like midnight and the first few deaths are showing up, I, I'm literally laughing in a maniacal way. And I literally go, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a psychopath, I swear. Because I was like, oh my gosh, look at that gore. That is nuts. That is so gross. But I loved it. It was so great. But also I felt so bad because everyone in this movie gets brutally killed. Like the headless bot, like the head that's floating on the water that David allowed to die. That girl. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, goodness. It's, it definitely is. I mean, and you sort of get a foreshadowing of that in the, when the alien, you know, you know the first, deadly critter is locked up in the uh i don't know if it's a medical bay or what with Mm -hmm. the the crew member that ends up having the alien emerge from his back which was i thought it was a really interesting change i mean it was pretty gross and then Mm -hmm. the woman and there's so much blood that she slips on the blood and then the (laughs) other woman comes in and she slips on the blood and i'm going (laughs) Okay, this is going to be literally a bloodbath. It already is. Yeah. I mean, literally a bloodbath. There is enough blood on that floor that you <laughs> could, like take a bath in it. Um, right. And that, that sort of got me excited. I have to admit it. I mean, that sounds sick, but what can I tell you? It's sort of like, it all right, such a we scene. are definitely looking at something majorly different from Prometheus. This is This is going to be... You know, like more, not slasher. Well, if you count slashing with teeth and claws, I guess it could be called yeah. slasher. Um, and, <laughs> and, and indeed it was. All right. So, yeah, I I get what you're saying about David. Definitely get what you're saying about, what was his name in the movie? Oram, I think. Yeah, Captain Oram. Yeah. So, I I, I sort of gravitated toward the secondary characters. My favorite was by far Tennessee. Tennessee. Oh, so great. Just because David Bride was perfect for this movie. He was absolutely perfect. There was a re- and, and Scott talks about this, but I I noticed that you probably did too, without before I had listened to the commentary, it was like, 
oh my gosh, he is going for a character similar to Slim Pickens in Doctor Strange Love. <laughs> oh know, my he, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he he nailed it. I mean, he really, you know, right down to the ending, you know, where he goes out in a blaze of glory and just kind of, you know. Because there's Yeah, he definitely did not care. He definitely did not care what was going to happen to him after his wife died. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but he definitely becomes Daniel's closest ally after Walter's gone. Um, he was. He had all the characters characteristics that you would want in a crew member. Mm-hmm. He was smart, but he wasn't. He wasn't uptight. Had a good sense of humor, but he wasn't like a constant jokester. He got along. I think everybody liked him. You know, they were all calling yep. him he and. You know, he was just really, but he knew his job and he was incredibly loyal and he was also able to adapt really quickly. Uh, actually, I think more quickly than any of the other characters, because most of them were couples, which is also yeah. really interesting. It's like, oh, we've got ourselves a little would be arc going on here. And yeah, this movie's more romantic than any of the other movies. It, it really was. I mean, I think. In a way, it's like, all right, there's going to be a lot of blood here, so we're going to try to kind of compensate by having all the married couples, because after all, they are going off to found a colony, and so you got to have people who are going to reproduce, and if you can find married couples who've both got the right training, why not have them be your crew, which makes a lot of sense. Plus, you get, what, 2,500 people in deep freeze waiting to Mm -hmm. uh, you know and of course a nice chest full of drawers high-tech drawers with (laughs) embryos in them um and of course then you've got david at the very end adding his own little (laughs) non-human embryos to the mix it's like oh you evil fucker you are just i mean he was like covering every base so in case something happened to him on route to wherever they well they they were gonna they're heading go to, to the, the colony yeah yeah so just in case he like fried a battery or you know a circuit exploded or what whatever could have happened to him he's got these his little embryos are in that drawer and you know the unsuspecting humans uh, are gonna be pulling them out somebody's gonna be pulling them out. And hatching him, however that would work. So it's like, man, he is hedging every <laughs> bet. Yeah, I love it so much. Um, I kind of already have like my own idea of what the sequels are going to be. The next sequel, if we ever get one, will be. Unfortunately, I don't think Neil Blomkamp's going to get the Alien movie he cherishes so much, and I wish he could get that oh, opportunity. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, I wish he would, but I just <laughs> do not see it happening, unfortunately. Um, but Phil, because this is a show about sequels. Why do you do you like sequels? I mean, I I feel like when it comes to like franchises, it's easy to say that. And we've been talking about a really good sequel, in my opinion, uh, most of the show. Um, why do you like sequels so much? Like, what about it? Because I mean, this is a di- this is a different take of a kind of sequel that's in the traditional sense. You know, um, when you think of like the Bride of Frankenstein, it continues right after. Um, you think Star Wars. You know, the same characters moving on to something different. Um, it feels like a it feels like such a strong and but different sequel 
So I'm curious, what do you look for in sequels that you enjoy? I like sequels because if I really enjoy a movie or, you know, a franchise, I always want to know what happens next, even if even if they don't leave it with a cliffhanger. So I watched and thoroughly enjoyed all the Indiana Jones movies. I know <laughs> the last couple got a lot of hate. And I, don't, I mean, I honestly just don't give a damn what other people think. <laughs> um, clearly loved all three of the Back to the Future movies. And I think most people agree that all three of them are really good. I don't know. Again, I don't give a damn what anybody else thinks about something like that. <laughs> um, it's just, I guess the way I look at it is that if it's characters and it doesn't always have to be the same characters, but like, like we're talking about basically similar characters, like between Prometheus and Covenant, you sort of had a similar cast going on. I mean, and, and there are enough similarities between them. So as long as it's something that it doesn't, I'm not a purist. I I've probably really made that clear already. It doesn't need to meet certain rules and regulations for me to thoroughly enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it on its own terms. And unless it's just a bad movie, I'm right. I'm not going to, you know, I know I compared Covenant to Prometheus, but I like them both a whole lot. I, I think that's pretty obvious. Um, so, yeah, I'll compare them, but I'm not going to discard a film because it fails to meet some arbitrary rule that as a fan I've developed for it. I just don't do that. I know a lot of people do and they've got a right. And you know, that's, that's up to them, but I don't do that. So I definitely do enjoy sequels. And mm. in a way I'm a contrarian. If a sequel get, really gets panned, I look for things that I really like about it. It's, it's sort <laughs> of like a challenge to me. Like, you know, I don't, I just don't buy that. Um, it's, it's, it's not maybe the greatest one, but it's one I'll still watch more than once. Oh yeah. I find it more interesting to get to know somebody when, if you, like I said in the first episode, and I've said it to friends before in the past, it's just, if you tell me you love Star Wars, I don't get anything. I don't know much. If you say my, I love the Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I love um you know halloween you know it's like great so we're gonna be solid but i want to know more but if you come in like oh i love halloween but i love halloween three you know or i love halloween four i don't yeah. like interesting like yeah. yes <laughs> you know or it's like you know because i feel like these are universal truths you're crazy if you do not like the original halloween movie if you don't that's fine but i i just i cannot find anybody who does not like the original um halloween film um, and it's like, it gets, it doesn't get boring. Cause I could talk about Halloween all day, but it's like, what can I say that's different that everyone that's different than what's already been said about Halloween, you know? But now if you say, well, Halloween four has that amazing intro and you get this new set of characters and that, that surprise ending is, 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 is amazing. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, yes. Let's talk about that. You know, like, I don't know too many people that like that kind of stuff. And that's how I feel about with alien. And like, you know, I feel boring and saying Alien is my all-time favorite movie, but it really is. There's no, you know, there's nothing I can't defend that. I mean, it's easy to say, and I, I acknowledge that. But man, when people talk about Alien, I'm like, have you seen Alien Resurrection? That movie is fun. 
That is a yeah. good shoot 'em up '90s movie, and you get Wyona Ryder and Bill and Brad Dorf in that in Swimming Aliens. Uh, that's awesome, <laughs> uh, you know. And ah, uh, it's just I feel like too many times with the franchise they try to recreate '79 Alien, and I just like just be your own, stand alone. And I'm glad, yeah. And that's why I loved Prometheus when it first came out, and I think now rewatching Covenant, why I love these movies so much more. They have elements of what the original Alien had done, but they do it their own way. It's not like some sequels, and we'll definitely talk about them later on in series episodes to come. Sometimes people will watch sequels or spiritual sequels, and they'll be like, I'd rather just watch what it was trying to be originally. You know? So like when people watch Underwater, yeah. which I love, they're like, it feels like an Alien ripoff or the Thing ripoff, and I wish I was rather watching those. I can't watch a movie like that. I can't like be like, okay, so this is a ripoff of something. I'm going to watch it. I got to watch it by its own terms, like you said. And that's yeah. That's why I love talking about sequels is because people who love sequels, they're more fun to talk to, you know? It's just like you, you learn something new. Well, I like, the, <clears throat> I like the idea of being open to it and not having, <clears throat> excuse me, and not having, like I said, you know, strict rules. Um, okay, a lot of Star Wars fans, it's sort of like, aside from the three original films that were made, what, like 30 years ago? Oh, no, I, you know, I, I didn't like this character. That never would have happened. You know, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I'm like, what do you mean that wouldn't have happened? How do you know that <laughs> wouldn't have happened? You know, yep. if, if that's, if you want to limit it, all right, I'm not going to argue with you about it. We're probably not going to have a very good conversation about it anyway. So, you know, let's talk about something. Let's talk about politics instead. Um, you know, sometimes <laughs> controversial. But the way I look at it is sort of like, okay, I'm going to be open to whatever this director, this creative talent, and his cast, and his writers, and his every you know everybody involved. I'm going to be open-minded about what they've come up with, and. You know, why else would otherwise, like you said, why watch it? Mm -hmm. If I'm going to go into it with a long list of rules, then that nobody except me knows, it's obviously going to be disappointing. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, I get a, I kind of get a kick out of that with people. Um, I don't know. I don't want to call it snobbish, snobism, but. I don't want to, but I'm going to. I think I think some of it is that. I think some of it is some of these folks feel as if they're guarding the purity of yep. the franchise and they just can't tolerate anything that they, you know, because they're really heavily invested into it. And, you know, I, I get it. I am too, but I, I sort of look at it as if, all right, so let's just, Let's give it a chance. And if you hate it, you hate it. That's okay. But hate it because it's a bad movie. Don't hate it because you don't think it's what should have come next. And I think that's well what said. Get yes. Trouble. Yes, I agree 100%, Phil. And I'm so glad there's people like you who share that kind of opinion because I've always grown up watching sequels because they were cheaper to get than some of the originals or you get them in box sets or you get them in double packs and you like, you yeah. know, so it's like, that's how I grew up. So it's like, I always like talking about sequels because they're 
so much more crazier things. Um, but I'm so glad um, you, you share that opinion with me. And I'm happy that I have such a good friend who shares a love for this franchise like I do. Um, so, but Phil, is there any last things you want to talk about when it comes to Prometheus or Alien Covenant? I have one fun fact from Prometheus that I jotted down. Um, it's totally irrelevant to everything else we've discussed, <laughs> but I I noticed it, and you probably did too. So the woman who plays Ford in Prometheus, her name is Kate Dickey, and you might remember she's got sort of a thin, gaunt, drawn back face. And I'm trying to remember a scene that you would have. She was, she was, um, she appeared in quite a few scenes. As it was, okay, remember when they brought the helmet in? Uh huh. Oh and yes. She was the one that was jabbing it with the electrical probe to like mm-hmm. light up its, you know. Yep. Life. Such circuit. a Frankenstein moment. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Okay. So she played a really weird character in Game of Thrones. I don't know if you've watched Game of Thrones or not. Oh, I'm one of the 1% that hasn't, unfortunately. Okay, well, it's you're a movie lover. It's totally understandable because you're talking about a gigantic time <laughs> commitment. I mean, it is. Right. However, I will tell you this. You have got to, within the next year, Chris Hurtado, you have got to carve out enough time watch the entire series and i'm gonna hold you to it oh you know my buddy nathan jones is always barking up that tree (laughs) well i'm gonna i'm gonna join him and we're gonna gang up on you uh and and here's why you love movies and Mm -hmm. i'm gonna tell you right now game of thrones is like watching and and you love sequels yeah game of thrones is like a series of movies you can either view each season as a movie, a long movie, or you can mm-hmm. even view each episode as a movie with a sequel the following week. Oh. There are so many layers, so many levels. I am a huge, huge fan. I'm a, you just got to trust me on this. You <laughs> are going to love it. But it's a huge commitment in terms of time. I get that. And, it, and it really, the best way to approach it probably is Carve out 10 hours and watch season one. And it's going to be 10 hours. You're going to need that long. And then take a break and watch a whole bunch of movies. Because um, <laughs> you're, you, you know, you're a cinephile. You, you can't yeah. abandon movies to watch what I know in the back of your mind you're thinking, but it's a TV series, which is true. Technically it is. But it is cinematic in style, in scope, in every, in every respect. And it's excellent cinema. It is not. It doesn't look or feel like a TV show. You mm-hmm. got to watch it. It's just that simple. You got to. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm on my to-do list year. with The Witcher. <laughs> I'm giving you a year. That's plenty of time. Um, so, but just start planning to set aside some time because it is a major time commitment. I I know that, but you will not regret it. Oh, okay. At that point, now I definitely have to watch it. But Phil, I mean, before I get to that, I got to get you to come back on the show for another episode at some point before that, though, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I'm so glad you were able to make time for this and talk about such a cool movie. Um, 
But uh, Phil, if uh, anybody wants to follow what you're doing and like kind of pick your brain and see what your kind of favorite tastes are, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter, and I can never remember what <laughs> my Twitter name is. So oh, it's all good. I will put it because it's Phil Mar, I believe. Yeah, um, there might be a number there too. Will Mark forty one, I believe, and I will put that as an attachment because I want people to check out all your posts because or your tweets because you put up some Blu-ray deals. You also post a bunch of your hauls, and you have you just start really good conversations on Twitter, and I really do appreciate that. Well, it's my pleasure, and this has been so much fun. I've really been looking forward to it, and um, I'm glad that you, you know. Uh, asked me to be on your podcast it's i've just had a hell of a great time this has just been awesome the entire time so thanks a lot chris yeah thank you phil i really appreciate that and those listening i definitely recommend to check him out on twitter he's such a delight and you'll always find you'll always be liking his stuff like i do on the daily so um, but that was Phil joining us where we talk about Alien Covenant. This has been Inside the Sequel with your host here, Chris. And I just want to leave one last remark for you all before you go. Remember, as always, if you're not watching sequel films, do you really care about cinema? We'll see you next time. See ya. See ya.